Hello, lovers, and welcome to Nutrition Nuptials podcast, where we help couples go from a me to a we. Couple of announcements before we get into today's double date episode. Happy National Nutrition Month. Yes, it is March. It is National Nutrition Month. For those of you not aware, National Nutrition Month is all about increasing the public awareness of the importance of good nutrition and to help position registered dietitians like yours truly as authorities in nutrition. If you are looking for a dietitian to work with, head over to eatright.org to find a registered dietitian in your area to work with. And if you are a couple and looking for some simple ways to get started with a healthy lifestyle together, head over to nutritionnuptials.com slash starter guide for a free five-day starter guide to nutrition, fitness, and self-care. You'll find a five-day meal plan, a grocery list, five-day exercise challenge, as well as a self-care tracker for hydration, stress management, and sleep. So head on over to nutritionnuptials.com slash starter guide to get your free copy. So, hey, if you're listening to this episode on the day it's airing, which is March 6th, that means tomorrow, March 7th, is a very important day in the Enright household. And that is because it is none other than Taco's birthday. So head on over to the Nutrition Nuptials VIP After Party Facebook group and drop a note to Taco wishing him a very happy birthday. Or if you want to head over to Instagram, you can shoot us a DM over at nutrition underscore nuptials over on Instagram and share the birthday love for tacos. So everyone do me a favor right now and join me in wishing a very happy birthday to taco. Happy birthday! Well, Wedding season is almost here. And if you're a bride-to-be or a couple looking to get on track with your wedding, or just maybe for those summer months ahead, you might want to find out how we, that's you and I and you and your significant other, can work together to get you to your goals. I offer services for both brides and couples that focus on healthy weight loss methods, meal planning and meal prepping skills, and your fitness. So head over to nutritionnuptials.com slash brides or nutritionnuptials.com slash couples to learn more about how we can work together and to book a free discovery call to get you started. Cool. On with the show. Cue the music. the Nutrition Nuptials Podcast with Taco and Mandy, where we're helping couples learn how to live their happily, healthfully ever after. Hello, and welcome to Nutrition Nuptials Podcast, where we're helping couples go from a me to a we when it comes to their nutrition, fitness, and overall wellness together. I'm your host, Mandy Enright, a registered dietitian who hates diets, and I am joined today and every episode by the one, the only, my husband, Taco. What's up? So Taco, we have a double date episode today. And as I mentioned in our opening, it is officially National Nutrition Month. So I figured what better way to kick off National Nutrition Month than talking about a topic that strikes fear into the hearts of many couples and is actually a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation to have. That's right. We're talking about finances, which I know has nothing to do with nutrition. But as you'll hear in today's episode, they actually tie in together a lot. So I have invited on today our 
very first non-dietitian related couple. I have Emily Ziegler. She is a financial planner who does specialize in working with couples. And she has come on with her husband, Kevin, to not only share their own story of getting on track with their health, wellness, and financial fitness, but also how you as a couple can start working together towards your health and wellness goals. So without further ado, let's jump into today's chat with Kevin and Emily Ziegler. All right. So babe, I'm kind of excited today. Why is that? Because we have our very first non-nutrition guests on the show today. Wow. I don't know what to do with that information. You just roll with it. Do what you do. All right, cool. Do what a taco does. All right. So who are we talking to? All right. So today on the show, we have Emily and Kevin Ziegler. Emily, I had the pleasure of meeting at a local Chamber of Commerce meeting, and she is a financial planner, and she has agreed to be on the podcast along with her husband to talk not only about their health, wellness, nutrition, but also bringing in her world as a financial planner and how we, that affects couples. All right. All right. So welcome, Emily and Kevin. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. You're welcome. So why don't we start off? Why don't you guys tell us a little about you, what you do, and where you do it all? So I'm Kevin. Um, I am the global technology manager for an international nonprofit called TechnoServe, uh, based out of Washington, D.C. In my kind of previous career, I guess you could say I was uh, an IT consultant for Ernst & Young, originally from Virginia, and, and moved up here when I met Emily in college. And um, I'm Emily. And uh, I work in personal finance. Um, I help couples figure out how to get started on the right foot. Um, I'm from Manasquan and we've uh, traveled around quite a bit, but now we've finally landed and settled down back in the area and super happy to be here. Yeah, when I had met you, you mentioned that you were living abroad. Yeah, we did. Uh, so the first part of my career was in the nonprofit world. Um, and so I started out in an industry called microfinance. And so that what that pretty much means is that I worked with these small nonprofit banks that gave access to financial services to very poor people, um, typically in developing countries. And so with that, we lived abroad. We lived in Nicaragua for a while. I worked at a small bank and Kevin actually worked for the first time with his company that he still works with today. So how is Nicaragua different from Manasquan, New Jersey? Some slight differences maybe? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. I, the first time I lived there a couple of times, so the first time I lived there, it was in the countryside, never locked my door. People super friendly, so happy that you're there, um, really appreciating the work that you do. And then the second time when we lived there, and Kevin was there this time as well, we were in the capital in Managua. And if you know anything about Latin American capital cities, they're not the safest place in the world. <laughs> we had a couple of uh, close encounters. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it taught us some good life lessons and uh, we made it out of there. And you know what? The work was worth every bit of it. I was just in Mexico City. So I know what you're talking about, about Latin American uh, capital cities. I was told exactly oh, yeah. where not to go. Yep. yep. <laughs> Keep all your valuables locked up in your front pockets. And <laughs> yeah. So would you take Latin American locals over Jersey Shore Guidos? Yeah. Like Americans all day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Guidos. Sorry, summer invaders. <laughs> Latin America wins. All right, Emily and Kevin. So let's get a little bit into uh, what makes you guys a couple. So let's hear about, you mentioned you met in college. Let's hear about how you met from meeting at a college, I don't know, dorm room, whatever, and uh, into uh, a married couple. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll give you just the first part of it and then Kev can finish it up. But uh, I was introduced to Kevin by his roommate who I met at orientation the first day of college. And his introduction of Kevin was, you have to meet my roommate. He's such a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> and what college were you guys at? James Madison in Virginia. So are you a Virginia redneck? Uh, I, I didn't ever think so, but, uh, <laughs> apparently I, I was somehow got placed in a suite with, uh, only people from Philadelphia, New York, and New Jersey. So, so you were uh, the most a, redneck of the bunch. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. It was kind of by default is, uh, was the resident redneck. <laughs> yeah. But I ended up living in the dorm room below her. So she got to hear my roommate and I making a lot of noise and playing music too loud and banging on the ceiling with a broom and everything else, anything to get her to come down and talk to me. So yeah, that's how we met. It's probably like, I guess the second week, second or third week of school, maybe. Yeah. Is the broomstick on the ceiling a redneck mating call? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. It worked. So yeah, it worked, I guess. All right. So you wooed Emily down to your dorm room and then what happened? I think I was pretty, I guess you would probably never seen like somebody ask like, Oh, would you want to go on to the movies or something with me? And he asked me on a date and I was like, what is a date in New Jersey? Like there's no dating. (laughs) (laughs) So he took me out to the movies on his, uh, like dining dollars that his parents probably loaded up the card on and he paid for my ticket and popcorn. And I swear he put his arm around me. He denies it to this day. Did the whole yawning thing, put my arm around her. She fell for it. Man, just like in the movies. It, yeah. it works. <laughs> All right. So we went on a lovely movie date. And then how did this, how did this wind up lasting so long? I, I think it was, it just, she was so significantly different from every kind of female I had ever met in the past, either like a previous girlfriend or even just like my friends that I grew up with that were, were girls. And something about her was just kind of like in, intriguing to me. And I, it turned out that we had a ton in common. I, I, Full disclosure, I didn't even realize New Jersey had a beach uh, when I met her. Um, and so she's like, oh, I'm from I'm from the beach in New Jersey. And I'm like, really? They have beaches? Yeah, I was expecting like rocks all over the place or something. I, I don't know. I had never really been north of D.C. in my entire life. So um, never crossed the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, never crossed the Mason-Dixon line, I guess. <laughs> um, no, I think it, it just we had a good set of mutual friends. And so we always were were together and um, and have just a lot in common. Kind of just clicked. I think that we're both like we had a lot of as as different as we were and as different upbringings and all that kind of stuff. We like just like on an emotional and intellectual level, just connected in a lot of places. Um, always kind of like trying to strive to make each other a better person. And that I think is probably what's kept us together for so long. We'll be going. We're probably almost eleven years now. Wow. Nice guys. So. You guys went from college dorm room. At what point did you then start living together? Um, I think a couple of years after college. So after college, I um, traveled around a bit, took a job out in California, lived down in Nicaragua. And then we decided that we were going to live in New York. And so tra- uh, Kevin transferred from Ernst & Young in Richmond up to New York. And I got a job in New York. And uh, we moved into our... How many square feet? Oh God. I had never seen a room so small in my life. <laughs> it's funny. I looked at the apartment and, and like signed on the line before he ever saw it. And we were already committed and he flew in to New York. I think I flew in from L.A. or Chicago on a work trip and met her in New York and went to see the place. And like, oh, where's where's the rest of it? <laughs> <laughs> 
For those of you listeners that have never had the pleasure of living in New York City or visiting a New York City apartment or done the New York City apartment hunt, basically you have no time to think things over. It's you go look at it and you have to decide then and there if you're going to sign for it because if you decide you're going to think it over, someone else is coming and taking that apartment. It doesn't matter if it's the best apartment you looked at or the most okay apartment. Like you need to let them know now. And it's a shoebox. Oh, yeah. And and you got to walk in with like a wad of cash and just be like ready to go on the dime. (laughs) Yeah. So you got your tiny apartment. And so we had talked a little bit about spatial issues on a prior episode and especially in New York City where like you said you have never been in a room this small and now it's all your living space so what was that like not just learning how to live together but to live together in a shoebox I mean I I didn't I think the biggest challenge was probably just you know the physical space of it um and trying to fit just all of our stuff you know we had a lot of duplicates of everything and trying to slim down on on what we had. And Kevin also grew up on 25 acres of land. So <laughs> this is a real big difference. Yeah, was, I grew up on a postage stamp. <laughs> I, I had a bit of a rough adjustment period to, to just New York in and of itself. I I think the one of the probably bigger challenges for me moving in, I, I was an only child, so I never really had to work around someone else's schedule. So if I wanted to go out to dinner when I was working at Ernst & Young in Richmond, I just went out to dinner. If I wanted to go out with my friends, I went out with my friends. And so I never had to think through, well, how is me going out to dinner with my work buddies going to affect what M does? Oh, well, maybe she's making dinner. Maybe she's going to stay later at work if she knows I'm not going to be home. And And how does that kind of affect or how do my work trips affect her if I'm traveling somewhere? And that was a bit of, I think, an adjustment period for me. I think she grew up with siblings, so she probably has a different view on that. But <laughs> No, I, th- I think for me, what was, uh, it, you know, just living together, living in the same space, sharing all of that, and you kind of like learn what each other's pet peeves are. And I, I said to him um, before we hopped on here tonight, I said, you know what I learned when we worked together or when we lived together um, for the first time? So I'm like, I love the city, but like the subway freaks me out in terms of how dirty it is. And he would like come home and just like sit on like, like throw his like backpack on the couch. And then I'd ride the subway with him the next day and see that he like put his backpack on the floor of the subway. And it would just totally skeeve me out. (laughs) So things like that, we learned to work, work around. (laughs) So you mentioned about having to learn to work around another person. So how did you guys start to establish those lines of communication or coming up with maybe a system for how you would let someone know if you're working late or going out and how that impacted the other person? I mean, we, we've always kind of had a, a pretty open communication style. I think probably her being from New Jersey a bit more direct than I ever was. Um, <laughs> never but, a Jersey girl. I would never picture no. that at all. I know, right? I don't, it was never a huge challenge for us. I don't think yeah. it was a, it was more of an, a kind of an adjustment period than I, I, it only took one or two times with me. Where are you? I made dinner and I'm, oh, I'm way downtown with all my work buddies and I'm not going to make it home for dinner to, uh, to realize that I, I probably needed to start accommodating that. Um, it, yeah, I, I don't know. If you, no, we never, like, we were always very open with each other. So it wasn't too hard to just, talk about what each other values and what's important and just always like be cognizant of that. 
I think one of the, I, I meant to mention this earlier, one of the scariest things that actually just occurred to me as I was kind of reading through these questions was before you move in with somebody, it's, especially if you're not married yet, it's very permanent, if, not permanent. Um, it's very, well, if this doesn't work, then what? <laughs> like it's, if we, if we can't move in together, then, then what happens? And that's a very kind of humbling feeling of, well, I've, I've been with Emily at this point for eight years. And if, if it doesn't work out us living together, then what happens? It's a pivotal moment. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a really defining moment in a relationship that I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about. I certainly didn't think about it when I moved in with Emily until, you know, it occurred to me probably like a year in that, wow, what would happen if we couldn't stand the way that, you know, somebody did something or... or the way you threw your bag onto the couch after being on yeah, the subway. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And you think about it because like you said, all this time that you've invested into this relationship and to find out that once you get to this very important step and it might not work, it's it's scary. Well, Kevin, imagine imagine moving in with that certain somebody a year uh, after you've gotten engaged and a year before you get married that 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 can put some stress on it, too. That's what we did. (laughs) Very probably a a different path. The heat's on there. But uh, yeah, no, I, I can I can totally hear where you're coming from because it's like oh wow we never did this before what now <laughs> yep and there's really better, no rule book everybody's different yeah we got to figure this thing out now you you uh you got together in new york you figured out how to accommodate dirty subway bags and living in this small space uh how did you guys figure out things like food shopping especially in new york where food shopping a little bit different than anywhere else in the world, uh, figuring out who would make meals. And if you did any kind of meal planning, grocery shopping, how that all got figured out. We were actually pretty, we're both very uh, frugal. I would say I'm frugal, Kevin's cheap. Uh, (laughs) But so what we would do is um, we would go do like a big grocery shop once a month where we get all of our like non-perishable stuff. And we'd actually take the subway up to like a Trader Joe's or something similar uh, from where we lived. And so we would bring our, since we had traveled a bit, we have these like big hiking backpacks because in the city, like you really have to think about like, okay, if I'm going to do a big shop, how is this logistically going to work? And so we'd bring our big hiking backpacks and all these like reusable bags and go up to Trader Joe's, buy a bunch of stuff. And then once a week. So we do that once a month. And then once a week, we would go to the produce market down the street. And, you know, one of us could just go and come back with two big bags. We did live in a five story walk up. So that was always fun. <laughs> you like finally get back to the house and then you've got to go five flights up, which is really 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's how it worked in terms of the shopping. And then cooking wise, we would normally on Sunday nights make a big meal for the week. And we'd use that for our lunches or you know, like a dinner here and there if we got home late, but. Yeah, we, we both had really busy work schedules and I, I traveled a good bit mm-hmm. as well when I was in New York, you know, so at least a week or two out of the month, I was probably gone. So we would usually use sun, you know, Saturday, Sunday as like our catch up days. And even if we had to go grocery shopping or run errands, you know, at least we got to kind of spend some time together. And, you know, that was kind of our like weekend routine. Yeah. And it was hard too in the city because you know, we had like a a lot of savings goals. And so if you're going to go out to lunch every day in the city, you're spending like 10 to 15 bucks every day. And so we, we tried to, you know, minimize that as much as possible. So, and you know, you just have to prepare for it. Yeah. I 
so we used to make we used to always have this this joke when I worked in the city at the ad agencies where if you brought your lunch, you would always be like, oh, I'm poor. I'm bringing my lunch because there was almost like a status symbol between bringing your lunch and going out to eat. For me personally, to go out and spend 10 to 15 dollars a day on kind of a crappy salad. Yeah. Times five days, times four times a week. I, and I talk a lot about this at a lot of my corporate wellness events. I'm like, that is so many pairs of shoes I could be buying <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm eating in this like okay salad that was made in the place that sometimes has a good, what do you call it? Sanitation or... Uh, oh yeah, the rating. The rating, which a, is B, creepy. My favorite falafel place every now and then would just be closed. Oh no. Like F on the front. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that, that sucks. Your favorite falafel place though, you only visited after like 2 a.m. <laughs> I would go there for lunch because the falafels were $2. Oh, you can't get that okay, Yeah. $2. But you can't get that deal and also expect sanitation. Yeah. <laughs> Further proof. And when you're 23 years old, making a crappy starting advertising salary, that $2, sometimes $3, if I wanted to splurge and get like Baba Ganoush or something to go with it, that was that was a fancy day. That was a big deal. So, you know, living living and eating in New York is not as glamorous as they made it look on TV. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I also... My big thing was at the agencies, if you worked after, I think it was after 8 p.m., you could order dinner and you would get it reimbursed. There was definitely a lot of times and whether like maybe we were going out to dinner or I was going home and my mom would always have dinner. I would order food just to have it and like throw it in the fridge to have it for lunch the next day. I'm like, well, company's going to make me work late. I'm just going to order food on their dime. There's a reason I clearly don't work in that industry. That's not the reason why, but... (laughs) I was like, if they're going to take advantage of me in my time, I'm going to take advantage of every possible thing that they're going to give me, including the food and then the car ride home. There you go. Yeah, you good. had that perk also, Kev, huh? Yeah, I had a lot of pad thai. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pad thai and a cab ride home at one in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So other than the uh, five, five story, five floor walk up, what other types of exercise did you guys have going on back in your city days? So I, I've always been a runner and, um, we kind of picked where we were going to live based on where I could run in the city. (laughs) I don't know if you have ever run in the city, but it is not fun to have to stop like every 200 feet for a light. Um, so we decided that we wanted to live near central park. So I would run in central park all the time. Awesome. Um, trail that pretty much runs the length of Manhattan. And so that was, that was what we did. I think, um, I think you joined Planet Fitness for a couple months. Uh, I was a member. <laughs> so I've, I've never been a huge runner, uh, especially in my probably after high school. I, I broke my foot a couple times in high school and so I've just never been able to do like long distance runs. So I'm more of a ride the bike on the side while she runs kind of person. But it gets me outside and I'm always active, uh, you know, running errands and outside doing yard work and things like that. So, no, I don't don't necessarily run marathons, but. You know, I still get my exercise outside. So, and you're a good cheerleader. It sounds like I am. I'm the best cheerleader. He's a, he's a great cheerleader. He loves when I do race, so he can brunch for the day until the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much how we watch the New York Marathon. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. <laughs> I enjoyed the New York Marathon. Eat some food, drink some champagne, look out the window. Oh, there's people running. That some was, some of them are our friends. Fun. Sometimes it's our friends. We like track them. We're like, oh, they're coming. 
we should go downstairs and pretend like we've been here the whole time <laughs> waiting for them. That's what the tracking system's for. It's awesome. You know exactly when to go. <laughs> yeah. For me personally, my extent of running in Manhattan is running for the train at the end of the day. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, wait. And then it's like, you like do that quick look like, okay, no cars are coming. I'm just gunning for it, running across the street. That cab might hit me. I'm going <laughs> to test it. Well, yeah, we, we had so many times where, so we would still come home on the weekend. So we were like Benny's. Um, when we lived in the city and, and we'd come home to my family's house in Manasquan. And so we would definitely be running to catch the bus at Port Authority. And I remember one time Kevin was running and we, we like just made it onto the train. And in his run from Times Square, where Ernst & Young was to Port Authority, he actually lost a flip-flop out of the side of his backpack. In the middle of 7th Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a run the corner from Ernst and Young. <laughs> so then he ran back. We made the train. I was amazed. <laughs> you know, you can buy flip-flops, although that will <laughs> that will impede on your whole things touching the floor of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> the foot would just have to be cut off after that. <laughs> so tell us then about, I guess, um, so you did your travels abroad and then you decided to take the plunge and get married? We did. Yeah. We, um, yeah, I think after we like lived out of a car for three or four months, um, camping every night or like sleeping in the back, we decided that like, there's, there's not much more we can do to test our relationship. <laughs> and what was the proposal like? I, let's see, her brother is a, as a photographer. Um, so I had, uh, I had him fake a, a family photo shoot up on the beach at sunrise. Um, and then I had the ring in his, uh, I guess, what do you call it? Camera bag. Um, and he asked me to go grab him a new lens. Um, so I could go have an excuse to go over and grab it out of the bag. And, um, yeah, it was beautiful. It was, we were like the only people on the beach in September as you know, most New Jersey beaches are empty in September. Um, and, um, yeah, it was great. It, we got, we got great photos and the sunrise was beautiful and it was literally just, just us on the beach. So as her family would love to remind me, it was a few years late, but uh, it finally, it finally happened. Uh, yeah. I guess after, I guess we had been dating for like nine years at that point, almost probably yeah, nine or 10 years at that point. So yeah, but you guys were young when you met, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, I met when we met when we were what, 18. So yeah. And as you said, you've pretty much tested your relationship at this point. You're like, God damn it, family, this is going to work. Yeah, there's there's uh, no better test than than living in a minivan and uh, and then living in in Managua together and in a little like tiny house and a compound. <laughs> and I guess by the time you actually got married and were living together as a married couple, you'd pretty much figured out all of your um, ways as far as again the the whole you know cooking, food shopping, grocery shopping, even when fitting an exercise. It sounds like that was all pretty much down to a, a science at that point. I, I think I'd like to think so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think we, we just work really well together as a team. Like, you know, we have different busy seasons and so we just, it's a give and take. And, you know, if I'm going to be home late, he'll cook dinner. If we have the chance, you know, we'll do it together on Sundays and, you know, every once in a while, if I'm looking for a buddy to run with and he doesn't want to, then I'll ride his bike. And so, um, yeah, it, it works really well. Kevin, what's your specialty that you make for dinner? I'd like to think I make a good, like Thai green curry. 
Um, wow. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm addicted to Asian food. Um, so I try like, I tried my hand at stir fries and like uh, fried rice, varying degrees of success. Anything on the grill is awesome. That sounds awesome. Another, another grill master, man. I do. I can, I can grill, but I can, I can, I don't, I don't do Thai green chili or Thai green uh, curry, but I, I've got my specialties. Anytime a man is cooking for you, it's, it's a good day. Emily, the reason that I really wanted to have you on the show is because I thought it was really interesting that number one, couples is your specialty. But I often talk about how there's really three big things that couples don't like to talk about. Number one is talking about your nutrition and, and health and well-being you know, for each other and within the relationship. The second thing is the estate planning and talking about creating wills and advanced directives and things that aren't necessarily the, the sexy part of a relationship, but are important. And then the final thing is the financial aspect of it. And for some reason, you know, whether it's there's a, a, not a comfort level or people don't know how to approach it, but financials is another area where couples maybe don't necessarily have maybe a system in place or even the right way of, of approaching or communicating it. So I was really, really intrigued to to talk to you and have you on to to talk about that aspect that maybe a lot of couples aren't talking about. Yeah, definitely. It's it's something that it all depends how you grew up, I think, as it pertains to if you like talking about finances or not. Um, I think normally uh, it runs from generation to generation that it's kind of this like very private topic. It's something I talk about all day long, but I also realize that when somebody, you know, when I meet somebody for the first time, that it can be a very uncomfortable situation for them because it's been very private their whole lives. Um, like you said, they don't like talking about it, don't like talking about estate planning or nutrition, things like that. And so, you know, I love more than anything sitting down with a couple or a family and, you know, understanding where they came from financially. So kind of like understanding their money personality per se and how that works well together. Like, you know, we sit here and talk about the the different things that, you know, bug us or the ways that we work together well or not. And, and it's the same thing in your financial life. Um, and so, you know, just as much as being on the same page in other areas of your life, you you really have to be on the same page financially. And that communication line has to stay open constantly, I think, for a for relationship to flourish. So at what point in the relationship do you think couples should be talking about finances? Other than the first date when you ask, how much money do you make? <laughs> or Luckily, like, my first date was pretty cheap. So mine was just popcorn in a movie on campus. But uh, <laughs> See, I call um, that making an investment. <laughs> there you go. You got a good return. Yeah, I got a, I got a good <laughs> return on that one. You, know, you would probably know better than I. I, I think any time you start jointly sharing the responsibility of, I guess, of any, I guess, financial commitment, whether it's rent together or if you guys know that you go out to dinner the same night every week or, um, I don't know, I think it's it's probably different for everybody. Yeah, and it, it's hard too, because like a lot of times people come into relationships in different um, levels of, you know, where they stand financially. So sometimes one person in the pair may make a whole lot more than the other, or one person may come in with a lot of debt you know, you really have to be open about how you're going to split up your expenses and what makes most sense in your relationship. And everybody has to be okay with it. Um, so I think that it's important to talk about early on. And like Kevin said, especially once you start like realizing that you're getting into this habit of like, 
oh, we split certain things and we share certain expenses um, just to make sure that you're on the same page because, you know, you, you never want to have that tension get in between uh, a great relationship. Do you think it's important for couples early on to create things like a shared bank account? I think that that takes a certain comfort level. Kevin and I did it pretty, pretty early on, but I see more and more that couples don't really do it until uh, maybe they're engaged or married. Sometimes people like more so to have like a shared credit card um, where if they're going to, you know, if they know they're going to split certain expenses, they'll put it on that credit card. But I do think that it's important to have those shared bank accounts and to have, you know, some some shared savings because what happens is you talk about, you know, how you split expenses or how you, you know, set up your accounts. I always tell people like you're free to live on Venmo for your entire life, but if you want to make it easier, you can figure out a good way to make your accounts work. And so I think that in doing that, like the next conversation normally for people when they start to share accounts is like, well, what are our goals for these accounts? Like if it's not just that we're splitting expenses here and there anymore, like if we're if we're sharing a savings account, then what are we working towards? And I know that you typically teach classes in this, right? Yeah. So I teach um, a class called Tying the Financial Knot. And so in that class, we pretty much talk to newlyweds or people who, you know, either about to get married, recently married, who just want to make sure that they get the right start financially. So there's a lot of things that are, you know, really getting serious about your finance. That's, I find that's when people start to really hone in and say like, okay, it's time to like meet with somebody and figure out that we're, we're really doing the right thing here. They want to get the good start. And so um, I teach classes uh, based around that. So I, I tell people to come in with any question they can possibly think of. And then we talk about all the different areas of finance that um, they should you know, make sure that they're on the same page for everything from like, you get a discount on your car insurance when you're married. So you might want to get on the same one or, or like, Whose benefits do you go on? Like health insurance is such a big cost these days of like weighing out the benefits. Who has better benefits? Whose are more reasonably priced? All that kind of stuff through, you know, sharing different bank accounts, working on common goals. Um, you know, how much should you should you be saving and for what? Um, all those types of things are, are covered in the class. That's really awesome. And I, I kind of wish that we took that class. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> You're more than welcome to still come. <laughs> there's, there's still time. Yeah. So I, I, and, you know, just a little background. So for me, my, my dad was always like the keeper of all the finances. And like you had mentioned, it's all about the family that you grew up in. And my dad, he loved doing that stuff too much to the point where when he was like trying to hand it off, I just had no interest. I'm like, you, you do this. Like, you're fine. You, you got this down. He would always be like, well, why, why can't you do this? And you know, my father never really understood the concept that people have different learning styles and not everybody learns the same way. So he'd be like, well, just go online and read about it. I'm like, I, my brain doesn't work that way. I need someone to sit down and show me. And he's like, well, I can't do anything about this. So then, you know, he sat there and tried to manage it and he would try to hand it off. And that, uh, unfortunately, my, my father had wound up passing much sooner than I think he, he had intended to, you know. So sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was, it was not ideal. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, oh, shit. And, you know, even my, my mom, too, you know, my dad was always like, oh, if anything happens to me, just take this flash drive to like the accountant and uh, Vanguard and they'll take care of everything for you. Well, my mother has unfortunately learned that it doesn't work that way. And, you know, even even she feels a little bit lost and confused because, again, it was something my father always handled and you know, my dad would be like, your mother doesn't want to learn about it. My mom would be like, I don't understand. Again, that whole different learning 
styles aspect of it. So, you know, I think it is really important to not only sit down with some of it, sit down with somebody that understands and can communicate with you in a way that both parties are going to be able to understand what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bring up so many good points there and finance can be a really complicated topic, but it doesn't have to be. I find that a lot of times, you know, people who work in my field will, you know, kind of talk at you or try to talk over your head and, and really the finesse and like what makes, I think me good at what I do is that, um, you know, when somebody comes into my office, I always ask them like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how, you know, are you like tracking the stock market every day? You know, what happened to the Dow today versus like, you know, one, you know, you just kind of get by and, and things work out and you're, you're not really, you know, tracking every penny and things like that. And so I, I try to gauge where my clients are um, before we get into anything, really, before I know anything about their individual situation. Um, and then another thing is that, like, I always try to make sure that the couple or the family comes together. Um, because even though maybe like one person is more the decision maker or they always say like, oh, well, you know, maybe he is more the finance person. It is really important that both people are on the same page about it, especially when you start to make, you know, larger financial decisions. You both want to be in the room regardless of who, you know, is the one who pays the bills, especially, you know, like in your case, Mandy, what you're saying is like making sure everybody knows like where everything is and, and what the strategy is and who to contact in whatever case. You know, we work with our clients on everything from, um, like you mentioned before, the estate planning and, and making sure that, you know, should something happen to someone like I have my whole financial planning software has uh, what we call the vault and the vault is where we hold all of our secure files. So when my clients come in and we get wills done for them and powers of attorney and living wills and all of that, they all get stored in their vault so that, you know, by just logging in and everybody has, you know, a certain login or the, the person can contact me and I can get them like instantly all the information that they need right there. So that's awesome that you have all that set up to really, really help keep a couple on the same page with all these things. And it, it, it's constantly moving and changing. So it's great to have someone in your corner that's helping keep all that organized. Yeah, it's nice to just be like a constant resource in somebody's life. So I always tell people, you know, especially when I meet young couples, you know, we're going to meet today and, you know, we're going to create a strategy, but this isn't like a, you know, two or three sessions and we're done. There's going to be a lot of things that happen in your life between now and and the end. And so there's going to be, you know, you'll get married, you'll maybe have children, you'll want to, you know, send them to school, you'll want to save for retirement and all these different types of things. And so there's going to be these life events that happen planned or unplanned. And you want to make sure that you're ready for all of them and that you have somebody to just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, Em, you know, it's, you know, this is what happened and I need your help. I love being that person in somebody's life. What would you say is the biggest thing or maybe even biggest mistake that couples are making when it comes to their finances? I think, you know, what we hear when we first get a job is, is the common approach to finance um, in terms of, you know, you get your first job, you sit down that day, the HR director says, here's your benefits, sign up. And they say, and here's the 401k. And you're auto enrolled in, you know, X amount to put into that 401k. And, and then all of a sudden, all your savings is locked up into this super illiquid vehicle that you have trouble accessing. And so I, I can't tell you how many people I see that, you know, they're about to retire and Maybe they want to retire early or something. And all of a sudden, they can't touch any of their money until they're 59 and a half without some severe penalties. And so the lack of liquidity is something that I see constantly. 
wherever their money is tied up. And so I always, you know, when, when somebody sits down and we talk about different strategies, I always talk about making sure that you're highly liquid, not only in case you have an emergency, but also because you want to be able to take advantage of opportunity. Uh, you don't want, you know, say, say something happens, you know, in the market or something, say 2008 happens and, you know, the real estate market tanks. Well, if you had liquidity, you'd be able to take advantage of that opportunity um, versus, you know, all your money tied up into this, you know, 401k that the, you know, average American is really where the primary savings is. That's not super liquid. That's a great point because I know when I worked, like my dad was always like, put as much as you can into the 401k. It's, you know, and not like free money, but like, you know, oh, the company matches it and all that. But like to your point, then it's like, okay, great. I have all this money that I'll see in 40 years, 40 ish years. Yeah. We, we always talk about having different buckets of saving, right? So you want to have that short term bucket for, for emergencies, things like that. You've got your long term bucket, which is like your 401ks or your IRAs. But then what about the midterm? Like, what about the rest of life? Like, you know, paying for, you know, a kid's college or just any other opportunities that arise. And so you want to make sure that you kind of cover all those bases there. And don't get me wrong, 401ks are great. If, if they're offering a match, I, I would always say contribute up to the match because <laughs> um, that is free money. But, you know, in terms of like maxing it out, that's the only bucket you save in. Always, you know, in finance, they always talk about diversifying and allocating. Like those are some common buzzwords. And so, you know, that goes for your savings as well. Like it's not just this super complex diversify in the stock market. It's like, no, just diversify where you save your money. You should have multiple buckets to pull from at whatever time you need. And you talk a lot about savings and getting serious about it. So what's the best way a couple can start getting serious when it comes to saving? I think the first and most important thing is having some really solid goals. You know, when a couple comes in and they just say, hey, I want to save more. I always make them define it a bit more for me because that's not motivating. Like, hey, I want to save for retirement. That's also not very motivating for a 30-year-old. You know, that, it's so far away that, sure, of course, I want to retire one day, but it, it's not very tangible. And so the first thing we work on when, when somebody comes in and wants to save, which hopefully aren't all of my clients, um, that's why they really come to me. Um, because they want to learn how to save more. But we we really try to hone in on exactly what they want to save for because that's where you're going to get your motivation to save. Um, I always tell people I'm not like a one of those, I, I think a lot of people fear going to a, fin- a financial planner because it's going to like cost them their fun lifestyle and they're going to tell them to like stop going out to dinner so much and, uh, you know, stop going to concerts and having fun and all that. And, and I always tell people, I don't want to be that like little birdie in your ear that's Every time you book a vacation, you're like, oh, don't tell Emily. She'd be mad at us. I want to be the one in your other ear that's like, wow, we can go on this vacation because Emily helped us learn how to save for it. And this is awesome. And so having those really like defined goals, I think, helps alter, you know, any little bit that you need to change up in your lifestyle because you've got something that's motivating you to get there. And then going along with that, so we are... We're in the midst of tax season now and people are going to start getting their tax-free funds. How do you feel about the people that are like, woo, vacation money, we got our Disney fund versus doing something that might be a little bit more strategic about it? <laughs> you know, I, I would say personal preference. If, if you like to use that money for your vacation every year, that's great. So long as you're not drowning in credit card debt. So, you know, I, I'm... In terms of like taxes, if you're getting a refund for 
you know, if, if you're a business owner and you've got some pretty complicated taxes going on, that's one thing. But if you're over withholding throughout the year, just so that you can get a refund at the end of the year, I, I kind of see that as a interest-free loan to the government over the course of the year. So I always try to like tell people, try to make sure that what you're withholding is like more or less on par. You don't want to shoot to get these like huge tax refunds because think of all the money that you then all the opportunity costs kind of that happen throughout the year because you were like forcing yourself to over withhold. And then now you get a refund at the end of the year. Maybe for somebody who has a really hard time saving, like that could be okay. But for the most part, I always try to tell people like, try to just break even on your taxes. You know, you, it's not ideal to get this huge refund, but I would say if you do get a refund and, but you've got some debt, maybe you may want to think about paying that down first, especially if it's high interest rate. Or if, you know, maybe you want to spend part of that on something fun and then the other part put into savings. But again, for somebody like that, it's got to be motivating enough to save. That's great to know because I, I hear all different things that happen with the tax refunds. We're, I, don't, I usually just save it. <laughs> yes. And then how about otherwise preparing for some life events, whether they're planned or not planned? What, what are some things that couples can do to be aware or, or maybe even having like some kind of a cushion on hand? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, for, for planned events in terms of like having kids, buying houses, sending them to college, uh, those are, you know, there's, there's lots of different types of, you know, financial strategies to get to those things. And so those require some very creative planning. And so I definitely work with my clients on those types of things. And then on the unplanned stuff, like, for example, like say, you know, I, I always tell people like, you're your biggest asset. Right. We, we get all up in crazy about like making sure you have the right car insurance and homeowners insurance, all this kind of stuff. But the reality is, is that your ability to earn an income is your biggest asset to your family. And so if that were to stop for any reason, that would lead to immediate failure. And so making sure that you're well protected so that if any unforeseen things happen in your life, like say, say you get in an accident and you're permanently disabled. Um, that you have planned for that. Um, and there's certain protections that you can put in place so that your family would still be able to live the way that they live today. So those are some types of ways that you can plan for some unforeseen events. Uh, maybe things like, you know, a job loss or, or something like that, just having that emergency fund, having, you know, if you're, if you're an employee somewhere, having like three to six months of your expenses is a pretty good thing to keep pretty liquid. If you're an entrepreneur, you should probably have more than that because your cash flow is you know, can vary so much that you really need to have more of a cushion there. So for a couple coming in to see you for the first time, what can they expect? First time that they come in to see me, we we would talk a lot about, you know, kind of what their expectations are, where they'd like to see themselves in, in three to five years. I always say like, if we were sitting here three years from today and you said to me, wow, Emily, I'm so glad we met that cold, dreary day in March three years ago. And, you know, what would we have accomplished in that time? Because I want to know, like, what are they envisioning for our relationship? And then I, I always let them know that this is the start of a lifelong relationship for them. A lot of times people focus on the planning, you know, up to retirement, and then they forget all about how you may live longer in retirement than you did in your working years. And so that also is a huge part of planning. Um, and so we, we kind of talk about, you know, philosophy on money, uh, what their experience has been in the past. And then I really just lay out expectations for them in terms of what the process looks like, because typically when people come in, they're a little bit scared. Like you mentioned in the beginning, they don't like to talk. 
about finances. It's not a comfortable topic and they're typically coming in because they've got a lot on the top of their mind. So I always start off with, you know, you came here for a reason and I want to make sure that I cover everything that you've got on your mind. So we just like list that out right in the start of every single meeting that we had because they thought of things between the last time they saw me and then coming in this next time. And so we make sure to cover all of that. You know, our, our planning sessions kind of look like we get all the facts in the first couple of meetings, all the hard and soft facts, everything from their goals to all their account balances and everything in between. And then from there, we, we strategize together. And so however long that takes, um, we create some strategies, we implement those strategies. And then, you know, I continue to follow up as we, you know, need, we do reviews. Um, as they have life events come up, they come back in. And so it's just kind of this working relationship after we really lay the groundwork for the first time. What's interesting is as you're talking, I'm thinking about, again, how similar financial world, nutrition world actually is, because a lot of the things that you're talking about, like you mentioned earlier, oh my God, you're like the money police. People think I'm the food police. And oh my God, what if I see Mandy out at a restaurant? What if I see Mandy out at a restaurant? Do I like cover my plate or do I look at what she's having? And then as you mentioned about people coming in, for me, I probably have a mix of people who come in on a somewhat preventive level and maybe they want to do some things that they can just live better. And then I have the people that had a major life event or a major diagnosis. And now, now they're coming in, now they're getting serious about it. And I'm sure you probably see something similar where something major happens and now people want to get serious about their, their finances. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's why I always ask people like, what is on the top of your mind? Because most of the time it's not, um, well, I just thought I'd come in and get things together most of the time they have a real reason for being there. Um, and, and you hope that it's, you know, a, a positive reason, but every once in a while, you know, it's something not so great, like what you see. And so you really, you know, you start to really get a, a vested interest in like, you know, somebody's well-being because you do. I, I always tell people, I don't sell widgets. Like this is your livelihood. This is your family's livelihood. And, you know, I take my job really serious in, in that way. And that like, the recommendations that I give you are going to make a huge difference in your life. And so, you know, I better be on my best game and be able to you know, provide for you in the way that, you know, you expect and that to make sure that in whatever circumstance that life brings your way, that you're well prepared for it. So Kevin, do you have any involvement in your household's finances or do you just really leave it all to Emily? <laughs> I do. Actually, I do all the bills. I take care of all of our, I guess, what you call asset insurance, they take care of car insurance, homeowner's insurance, um, what else? Umbrella policy. <laughs> no, I, I, I try and stay, um, I'm more, I guess you would say on like the day-to-day finance side of things. And she is far better at, at seeing the future than I am with our finances. So I, you know, I, I'm thankful that she has that gift of, of planning and, and putting a lot of complex pieces together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy paying the cable bill and, and taking care of those things. One of the things that I think really been helpful in our relationship in terms of money, you know, we do have different money personalities. Kevin is definitely like the banker of the two of us. And I'm more of like the big picture person, like, you know, trying to like really think of strategies versus like nickel and diming myself. And so, you know, a lot of times couples can get into this place where, Finance is just like a constant topic and it really can 
I think it can hurt a relationship. So, you know, early on when we, especially when we were living in New York and things were really tight because we were trying to save for a house and, and just live in New York, we realized that we were talking about money all, way too much. That like every week, Kevin on Sunday nights would be like, can we go over our budget again? And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's really important that you definitely kind of set the pace for how much you're going to talk about money in your relationship. And like, so now quarterly, probably we get together and sit down and, you know, look at our spending plan and say, hey, are we living up to this? We do, you know, a little bit of reconciling. We plan for the next quarter and, and kind of leave it at that. And so we, we don't have this constant conversation of like, well, should we go out to dinner night? I don't know. Let's check the budget. Like we know how it feels based on what we spend, you know, every week. And so we just stick with the way that feels. And then we kind of look back on the previous quarter, look forward on the next and just make sure we're, we're sticking with our plan. Um, just because I, I think that it's definitely when you, when you talk about it all the time within a couple, it's, I don't know how healthy it is. Planning quarterly definitely helps with the, the seasons and um, you know, there's the, you end up spending more money in certain seasons, like around Christmas time or birthdays or uh, summertime, you want to go on vacation or you want to plan a ski trip. And it helps to do that kind of quarterly checkup on each other of saying, all right, well, we know we want to go out West and go skiing this winter. We know we want to go, you know, we want to buy something nice for Christmas for each other or something like that. It, it helps to have that kind of quarterly planning process, I think. Having flashbacks, my advertising days of monthly and quarterly reconciliation meetings. <laughs> Man, this is coming to my house now. But it is, it is important. And, and like you said, too, that it shouldn't be something that you're constantly talking about or, or stressing about. And again, bring it back to even just with, with the nutrition aspect of things where sometimes it gets to the point where it's almost nagging and just constantly hanging over your head. Like, should I have this? Should I make this? Should I eat this? And same thing when you're talking about finances of like, what, when, when is this a fun relationship? And when does this become, <laughs> essentially, when did this relationship become a business? Yeah, exactly. And you don't want it to turn into that. I, I tell people like, you want to be able to live the same lifestyle that you live now. Like I, I try to show people how to save more money without living their life any less. Right. And and that's what we said before, like people don't want to go see a financial planner because all of a sudden they're going to tell them to, you know, cut back on this or that. Like that's never my job. Even if I, you know, even if somebody says, Hey, can we work on a budget? Sure. We'll work on a budget, but I'm not going to tell you to cut your cable. You know, that's a personal choice. And so if, you know, if your savings goals are strong enough, then you'll know where you need to make adjustments. You know, that, that's definitely something that I think that couples can work on together. And I'm there, you know, as, as a resource, if they want to say, where can I get a cheaper phone bill or something like that? I'm happy to help in those ways, um, but never to be the budget police. How about a couple that likes to save money by going to a lot of happy hours? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great deal. <laughs> no, you got to have fun. You You can't, life can't be constantly thinking about money. You know, you have to just plan for it. That's all. If, you know, if that's something that you enjoy hours, you know, throughout the week is something that really makes you happy, especially in your relationship, then, you know, and I don't think Kevin and I disagree with that. We like a good happy hour. Um, then, then you make room for that in your budget. That's all. So I think you've given us a lot of really, really great advice, Emily, and I appreciate it. So what would you say would be your 
top piece of advice when it comes to just overall financial wellness for a couple? I just think that it's really important for a couple to communicate and be on the same page. Um, you find that so many times that you know marital discord is really based on having some issues financially and not being able to agree on um, you know the family's finances. And so you know whether that's a spending personality difference or you know not having that open line of communication, I think that you know that's where you can get run into some trouble in your marriage. And so making sure that there's no unnecessary tension there and that you can really just be on the same page all the time um, about kind of where you stand on your goals and that you're you're really together in it working on them. That is really, really great advice. So Emily, you have been such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to couples and their finances. Where can someone get more information from you or do you have anything that you're working on right now that maybe you want to share with the listeners? Cool. Um, yeah, I have I have one thing that I find pretty interesting that I'm working on right now, um, and maybe some of your listeners will. You know, so we talk about nutrition and and living a healthy lifestyle, and so I too kind of live in this world of you know people who care about what goes into their body and where their food comes from, um, and uh, you know living that really holistic lifestyle. And so I think a part that often gets left out of that is that you know, while you're really conscious about all of these things in, in your life and making sure that, you know, you've got a low carbon footprint and, and all these great things that have really been brought to the forefront, you know, last decade, people forget that a lot of times their money may be invested in places that are contradictory to what their own personal mission is. And so I work with uh, a lot of people who want to make sure that their values and their money align. Um, and so, for example, you know, if, if you, um, really believe in say the the types of food that you eat and you want to make sure that you eat organically and and all this kind of great stuff then maybe you don't want to be invested in some of the companies that don't have a similar philosophy and what happens is that when you have investments in these you know larger mutual funds and things like that then they typically include a lot of these companies that you may not necessarily agree with on a philosophical level and so i um I like to work with clients who have those types of values and I'm able to serve them um, by offering them, you know, different types of saving vehicles that can make sure that it kind of rounds out their holistic lifestyle. So that's one thing that I'm working on right now that um, I find pretty cool and, and interesting. That's actually a really fascinating point about knowing that knowing where your money's invested, especially a lot of times when you do put in these big funds and maybe you don't always know where where that money's going or who else is contributing to it. So I think that's a really, really great point. Is there anywhere else where we can find you either online or in the social media realm where people can get more information from you? You can always feel free to, uh, you can find me on my website is howgreenisyourmoney.com um, or you can uh, get me via LinkedIn, Emily Ziegler or uh, via email, which is Emily underscore Ziegler at ca-strategy.com. Um, and so, you know, those are the best ways to reach me. And um, I'm always up for a conversation, whether it's just, you know, learning a little bit more about what I do or, you know, sharing something interesting about what you're doing. So, you know, I, I would say that feel free to reach out. I, I would love to chat with anybody who's, you know, interested in anything that we talked about today. Definitely. And I will include those links and your email address and your LinkedIn profile all in the show notes. So you will be one simple click away from people reaching out to you. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, Emily and Kevin, thank you guys so much for, for coming on. I think, Emily, I think we make a good team because I help keep people healthy to get them living uh, longer, healthier lifestyles, and you help them so that they can spend their money longer. Absolutely. Kevin, it was good that uh, you and I could get together and catch up like this. Yeah, you know, we should do this more often. Yeah, let's get a beer next time. We'll go to half the hour. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> wow, they were a lot of fun. And Emily totally is an expert in her area when it comes to talking to couples about their finance goals. So thanks, guys, again, so much for coming on. And we always love talking to some fellow Jersey Shore folk. If you want to be like Emily and Kevin and join us on the show and tell us your stories about getting together as a couple, learning how to live healthy lifestyles together, fitting in nutrition and fitness into your household, no matter how tiny it may be, then head over and shoot us an email at podcast at nutritionnuptials.com and tell us how you're living your best life ever together. And if you happen to work in an area that does specialize in couples like Emily and financial planning, then we'd love to hear from you as well and how you can help provide a little bit of light and education to our audience. If you are looking to connect with here us here on the show, we love to learn a little bit more about our couples out there. As I mentioned, you can always shoot us a question, comment over at podcast at nutritionnuptials.com. That's our email. You can head over to the blog that started all nutritionnuptials.com, where you can head over to grab some recipes, fitness, and just overall tips of how to work together as a couple when it comes to your nutrition, fitness, and overall wellness. And you can also connect with us here at the show over on Instagram at nutrition underscore nuptials and share with us. And we'd love to feature you guys over on our Instagram as well. So make sure you're tagging hashtag nutrition nuptials to share the love. We also have a Facebook group specially dedicated to this podcast, the Nutrition Nuptials Podcast VIP After Party, where we keep the conversation going after the show. We drop some questions. We want to hear from you guys. What are your thoughts about the episode? What do you have to share about your experiences with financial planning? So head on over to Facebook, Nutrition Nuptials VIP After Party, and let's chat. If you are looking to connect with Mandy Enright, the dietitian, you can always follow me on Facebook at Mandy Enright RD. I can also be found on Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube, also all at Mandy Enright RD. If you're enjoying this podcast, we would love if you guys could just take a moment, head over to iTunes or whatever your podcast listening platform of choice is and drop us a review. We love some five stars. We love if you can just take a moment to tell us what you're digging about the show, what you want to hear, what's been some of your favorite moments so far. And we just uh, want to get the word out there about the show. So when you take some time to give a review. It helps get the word out there to some other couples who might be looking to learn how they can live their healthy lifestyles together. We also have some other ways that you can support the show, and that is by heading over to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash nutrition nuptials, where you can become a super extra special VIP show supporter. We have patron levels starting everywhere from the dollar, five and $10 levels. As a show supporter, you get a lot of really great benefits and exclusive discounts. So head on over patreon.com slash nutrition nuptials. We really, really appreciate and love the support. We can't keep the podcast going without you guys. So make sure that you are always sharing the love and we love you guys back. For it. Well, Taco, I think our work here is done. So thank you again so much for saying I do to your happily 
healthfully ever after. Adios, amigos. 